I have to say that I am kind of concerned about diversity. Um, I think that we're much more diverse on our campuses um, than we once were. Um, but I am concerned about access and the cost of coming to a college or university and, and having that experience. Um, and I'm also talking about the experience. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what that experience is actually like. Um, I went to college in what I consider, and as I consider it now, a really nurturing kind of experience. And, and, and uh, you know, one where, where I felt like I was supported regardless of who I was and what I believed in. I felt like I was a member of a community and people supported me. They may not have agreed with me on everything, but nonetheless, I felt supported. Do we have that anymore? All right, hello, and welcome to Student Affairs Now. I am your host, Heather Shea. Today is truly a special treat for me as I get to interview one of my Student Affairs mentors and heroes, Dr. Paul Shang. We're gonna dig into his long career, his leadership of ACPA, and all the lessons that he has learned working in Student Affairs. Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We hope you'll find these conversations make a contribution to the field and are restorative to the profession. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays, and you can find us at studentaffairsnow.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Simplicity, a true partner Simplicity supports all aspects of student life with technology platforms that empower institutions to make data-driven decisions. This episode is also brought to you by Stylus. Visit Stylus Pub and use the promo code SANOW for 30% off and free shipping. Stay tuned to the end of the podcast for more information about each sponsor. As I mentioned, I am your host for today's episode, Heather Shea. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I am broadcasting from the ancestral, traditional, and contemporary lands of the Anishinaabe, Three Fires Confederacy of Ojibwe, Ottawa, and Potawatomi peoples, otherwise known as East Lansing, Michigan, home to Michigan State University, where I work. The university resides on land ceded in the 1819 Treaty of Saginaw. So let's get on to this conversation. I am so excited to have Paul um, with us today on Student Affairs Now. Welcome, Paul. Hello, Heather. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so glad to spend some time with you. Um, Paul, you and I have known each other for almost 25 years, maybe even yes. at, right at 25 years. Um, I, I know you know, but I'll tell our audience that you have played such an instrumental role in my career, um, encouraging me from a very early age to pursue a PhD, um, to consider running for ACPA president. Um, and so I'm just really grateful for an opportunity to say thank you today, but also to just highlight all of the things you've done beyond inspire uh, Heather Shea <laughs> um, in this field. So thank you for spending a little bit of time. Um, we're going to start actually by you telling us a little bit about what you've done over, over your career. Uh, you have uh, served in various roles across many campuses in all corners of the United States. Um, you have also, as I mentioned, been ACPA president. Um, and I'd love to hear a little bit about just how you got to those roles. And then we'll talk a bit about how you've seen student affairs work evolve over time 
Um, you are a true legend. So I'll let you kick us off. Well, thank you for being so gracious, Heather, um, and for um, also always being such a, a wonderful colleague and uh, a delightful person to work with. Um, I actually came um, to student affairs um, in a kind of a circuitous route, if you will. Um, I was a PhD student at Florida State University in, um, and began as a freshman there in 1969 and graduated in 78 with my PhD. Now, I had a double major as an undergraduate in political science and philosophy because I love both those fields. And you have to remember what the times were like then. It was mm -hmm. the Vietnam War. Um, I think there, there, there was a great deal of student activism. Uh, Florida State was a very nurturing and wonderful experience, especially for me, because I grew up as basically um, in in rural Florida in the middle of the state. And so going off to a university was just a wonderful, wonderful, life-changing, expansive experience that uh, I, I would wish upon everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, um, <clears throat> because of, of uh, my background in, in philosophy, um, I really enjoy uh, thinking about things kind of in a larger way and, and maybe a more historical way. Uh, political science had always encouraged me to think about the way people interacted with one another and, uh, you know, made decisions together. So um, I received a letter as I was finishing my dis dissertation um, from the American Philosophical Association. It's sort of miraculous, but it was a one of those mimeographed letters, you could still pick it up and smell it. And, you know, I don't know that anybody knows mimeograph technology anymore, but yes. And, <laughs> and that the American Philosophical Association could keep track of all of us graduate students across the country was miraculous. Um, but anyway, the, the, the letter said, it was gracious, but it basically said, we want you to finish your PhD, but there are no jobs. Oh. And so, um, and there weren't. Um, it was the emergence of, of uh, you know, the um, more professional kind of oriented uh, academic programs and the decline of the beginning of the decline of the liberal arts, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so um, I had this is the only advantage of having taken all of your degrees. And I have four of them uh, from Florida State. And they they knew who I was. They they. Uh, they took care of me as, as an undergraduate student when I was off to go ahead and start protesting one thing or another. I actually did have faculty as I was crossing the campus reach out to me and say, you know, if you get in trouble, give me a call. And we didn't have email back then. We just gave, they gave you know, we gave each other our phone numbers. Yeah. Um, and of course, invariably, I did get into trouble because it was the 60s and you had to go out and, and do important things. And uh, it was that kind of an environment. So um, I was approached by people in student affairs who said that uh, they really didn't care for my values that much, but they liked the way that I led my peers and, and tried to keep them out of trouble and tried to minimize damage to the university. And if I'd get my hair cut, they'd give me a job. <laughs> so that's that's how it all started. And it was in the very first minority affairs office in the South 
and definitely in Florida. And it was called actually Office of Minority Affairs, um, which was kind of a, an interesting name back then, but it's totally acceptable. And now, of course, we would change it and, and try to make it um, not quite um, that pejorative um, now. Mm -hmm. But it was it was my introduction to working with students on a one-to-one -one kind of level. And, and uh, also, uh, I learned about financial aid. I learned about admissions. I learned about all the different things that, that student affairs people um, learn about, you know, in, in master's and, and their uh, EDD or PhD programs. And I learned it through experience. And, uh, and I learned it working with uh, people of color, specifically mm -hmm. African-American students or black mm -hmm. students. Mm -hmm. um, and I stayed, that was my tradition, actually. That I, and that's, I it went from Florida State to Iowa, where I met uh, Ursula Delworth, mm -hmm. uh, a significant member in our profession, was a significant, very prominent member of our profession, and also my current spouse, Laura McCogno-Shang. And they took me to an ACPA convention. I had been part of uh, all of those TRIO programs and the TRIO-oriented kinds of, of uh, uh, professional groups. And this is the first time. And this was in Chicago, ironically. Mm. And it was the joint ACPA-NASPA convention many years ago. Um, and they took me there. And it was such a, a mind-expanding experience for me in the sense of, beginning to understand that, yeah, there was a lot of us in student affairs and we all did different things, but there were things that brought us together. And ultimately it was our experience with students um, that, that made these activities and these conventions and, and these ways of thinking so very, very important. So I hope that was brief enough and I hope that was you know interesting in, in some degree. But Absolutely. yes, that's how I got into student affairs. That's that is that's a great story. So after Iowa, when did you end up at Colorado State, which is where our paths crossed? I was basically at Iowa for about seven years. Okay. And okay. uh I uh I was encouraged to start thinking about um uh, doing some other kinds of work within student affairs. And um, I met uh, through Ursula, I met Donna McKinley, mm -hmm. um, a, a wonderful student affairs VP or associate VP at that time. And she wanted to create uh, an academic advising center on campus. And the academic advising center also was going to be very significant in terms of doing student orientation. So uh, I applied and, and uh, uh, luckily was able to get the job and, and uh, stayed at Colorado State for 15 years mm -hmm. and totally, totally enjoyed it. I had a wonderful experience there and met you and other delightful students through our Student Affairs in Higher Education Master's Degree Program. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that was very important uh, for me and my my professional and personal development in the sense that I continued to get to interact with students on a one-to-one -one kind of scale, as well as, as have more important, um, you know, administrative sort of responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And well, then, 
Go ahead. No, I was just I was just going to say I think one of the really unique things about Colorado State SAHI program is the fact that you have folks who are full time administrators and directors of units and departments who are mentoring, advising, and even teaching in the program. Um, and that I think that's for if if anything um, affected me more, it was the ability to learn from people who are doing this work as part of their practice. Um, how did you get into teaching or how did you, how did that end up happening? How did you end up becoming an advisor and, and connecting with master's students? Well, I, I wanted to have that experience and um, I volunteered with uh, the student affairs and higher education program. And because of, of my background, um, I was also paired with somebody and uh, to teach student development theory. Mm. And, and uh, I think I taught with Ann for Ann Hudgens for several years that particular course and, and really enjoyed it. Um, but it, it was the, the ability to work with students at the master's level mm -hmm. um, and to talk with them about, about what they might be doing, you know, as they continued in the profession was really very important experience for me. And um, hopefully uh, the students benefited from that to a certain extent, but it was, it was just such a marvelous um, experience to be able to, to work with people who were very talented, um, saw things particularly and, and possibly in different ways. Um, I grew a lot from that experience, um, but I also um, wanted to, to make sure that people understood, you know, the, the significance of advanced uh, education and on the master's and also the PhD level, uh, because it, it is just a fabulous experience. And, and uh, I enjoyed it greatly. And, and I wanted uh, my students, people I advise to, to understand that, that uh, you go on and, and there are other things that you can do uh, beyond the master's degree. Mm -hmm. Well, I remember sitting in your office um, and thinking about, uh, I don't remember all the different opportunities that you could, you could do as you could write a professional paper or you could write a thesis or you could write, do something else. But um, I remember you encouraging me to do research, right? And then that that was going to be um, an opportunity for me to kind of learn a little bit about what that scholarly um, pursuit was like. And so I did endeavor um, and ended up uh, doing a, a qualitative study of multiracial students. Um, and I remember sitting in your office and having lots of really heady conversations about what is race and how are we defining race? And then what does it mean to be a white person studying multiraciality? Um, you know, how is that going to um, influence like my logger career and and then I remember you saying to me at some point, well, what else has been written about this? And um, I think we dug into the card catalog at that point in time. I don't even know if there was, there were some electronic files maybe, but um, Kristen Wren, there was one um, published higher ed focused paper on uh, multiracial college students. And it was by Kristen Wren, who um, fast forward for those of you who don't know me, um, was my dissertation uh, chair here at Michigan State. Um, <laughs> and and later you and I met Chris and we're like, oh my gosh, you know, she's, you know, one of those people I think who had a, who had an- Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, 
So I did talk to another one of your advisees because I was really curious about how other people experienced you. Um, <laughs> my good friend, Jennifer Hamilton, um, yes. graduated in 97 from the Saki program. So she's even, I think, a little bit before me. Um, and she said um, that she said, as I reflect on Paul as an advisor, I just recall his genuine interest in students and his supportive cheerleader role. And then even years after I graduated, must have had buckets of those interactions with tons of folks. And yet he showed genuine interest in me as a professional. And that kind of encouragement and support has been so valuable. So Jen wanted to know, where does that energy come from? And how do you go about cultivating such a genuine care and interest in um, students and in others? Well, that that's very nice of Jennifer to you know, to re have responded the way that she did. Um, you know, you, you get this kind of once in a lifetime opportunity to meet people mm. and, and to appreciate them and, and to, to learn about them and to get some sense of, of, of um, their potential. And that's, that's in many respects for me, what higher education is all about. I think I think things have changed and, and uh, a little bit in that maybe we don't have the same time or opportunities anymore mm -hmm. to interact um, that um, closely with students. Um, but that that was something that I really enjoyed and and it it's an energizing kind of experience. Mm -hmm. um, you know there there are lots of things that you do with groups and groups of students and large lectures and, and uh, demonstrations and, and so forth. But, but the one-to-one -one interactions where you genuinely get to know somebody um, and, and to understand um, what they're going to be like one day is, or get a glimpse into that is, is so important and so energizing. And what I really enjoyed about my interactions with students, especially at Colorado State, you know, in the SAHI program. Mm -hmm. Can you can you talk a little bit more just about how you've seen student affairs work um, evolve over time, and and maybe a little bit about how you evolved as a as a student affairs educator over time? Well, I think that, uh, and this is this is maybe possibly the downside of of, of getting more professional responsibilities. Mm is that, that frequently it, it kind of ends up taking you further away from, you know, um, individual students. Mm -hmm. And you start thinking about students in group ways. And, and sometimes that's a positive thing and sometimes that's not. Um, and I think that, that things have changed really dramatically, um, at least for me, as, as I became a dean of students, um, in the sense that I, I, there wasn't the same one-on-one -on -one interaction unless it was under very special circumstances. Okay. And, and many of those are very positive and, and sometimes they're not so positive. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what has happened is, is that uh, over time and possibly because of technology uh, and possibly because of the way that, that uh, you know, our society and also our universities have changed and the, and the challenges that we're all confronted with now, um, it's become, for me anyway, it became less personal 
in the sense of less interaction with individuals and, and less of an ability to actually kind of care about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, you, when you think about people in terms of groups, you know, it, it just blurs everything. Um, at least, at least that was my experience. And so, so designing things and, and thinking about changes that you might make on behalf of groups or, or, or recommend to be implemented to a group of people is just not the same. Mm-hmm. If you don't have those individual experiences that help you think it through and, and what is this going to actually be like uh, for, the, for the person that, that is the participant? Um, and so there, there are lots of, of interesting discussions and, and debates that, that went on in my time. Um, for instance, the whole uh, concern about fraternities and sororities mm. and the relationship of fraternities and sororities and, and, uh, and uh, different things uh, like um, alcohol and other substance abuse, um, like sexual assault um, and, uh, you know, instances perhaps of, of, of uh, racism. Um, all of that was, was something that, you know, those were important considerations. And, and, but ultimately, you know, what I would do is, is go ahead and, and try to have dinners with fraternities and sororities and, and meet them and talk to them about the significance that, that uh, they play, the roles that they play, and also understand why they belong to those groups. You know, and, and it's it's just an it's another way of being a student. It's another at least then for me, mm-hmm. that's what I learned. And it, it's another way to have a group. Mm-hmm. And so it was sort of an important um, important way to get some experience and to understand um, those particular organiz- organizations and to to realize that well, you know, this is a this is an experience and and quite possibly uh, an important experience for the development of those individual students and we need to be even-handed about this yeah yeah I think it's it's little pockets of belonging um but there's it seems like there's sometimes like a lot of intergroup conflict among fraternity and sorority chapters at least for, for me at least I'm always tell, telling the sororities from my current vantage point I'm like together you are the largest women's organization on campus like you could really right. move the the needle around some gender equity issues. Um, and so helping students kind of see their power too, I think is, mm-hmm. is something that's that's um, challenging. Right. Uh, and they were the source in my day anyway of, of, of most of the student leaders on mm-hmm. campus and right. student government and elsewhere. I like that term, little pockets of belonging. Yeah. That's kind of cool. It's <laughs> <laughs> really neat. <laughs> or big or big pocket it depends on the size of campus right where you exactly like 100 exactly. students yeah um i am really curious so you mentioned in your in your intro that you have this phd in philosophy um from florida state um and that's that's a less traditional preparation program right um i think right. you're, un- you're <laughs> unique in that um in that background can you talk about like how that's shaped your view of student affairs work um, and, and maybe what, you know, in what ways do you draw upon that body of knowledge um, through your career? Well, I, I think it, it introduced me into a, a discipline where in the sense of, of trying to think 
and look at things, you know, more thoughtfully. Mm -hmm. um, and possibly, you know, you may have noticed in your experience with me, it, it may take me a while to, to actually tell you what I think. You know, and that's possibly because I'm just kind of not real clear about what I'm thinking until I've been able to sit down and really work it through in my mind. Yeah. Um, and that that's, I think it's a plus and it's a minus. I, these days we're act, asked to re, uh, respond pretty quickly to things. And and I don't know that, that uh, we get the opportunity to really be as thoughtful uh, about them as, as we would like. Um, but philosophy kind of gave me um that patience and that desire to go ahead and and let's let's think this thing through um and try to understand it from from a multitude of different perspectives um <clears throat> uh, philosophers never win arguments <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they they always just try to to you know raise the really? consciousness about a topic just a little bit <laughs> um the other thing, though, is it, it it really automatically kind of gave me an appreciation for student development theory mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the importance of of looking at the student experience and and describing it and writing it about it and and sharing it with others and trying to understand you know what it is about universities and and higher education and how can students be served better and you know how. How is it that that uh, they benefit from these experiences? Um, and so that that was something that I appreciated about my background, even though it took me a lot of catching up um, to try to become more familiar with the literature. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I think we could all use a philosophy, you know, because it's sometimes like, why am I doing this work? Like those big why questions. I think. Right. Um, philosophy might have some answers uh, for us or more questions, right? Like one of the things that I value um, is like thinking about things is important. Right. Um, so, right. you know, you, you ended up serving as ACPA president. I think I read 20, 2002 to 2003. Is that the correct year? I think, I think so. Okay. So that's exactly 20 years ago. Um, and as you know, I'm moving into that role at this next yes. convention. So I'd love to hear a little bit about what it was like to lead the association 20 years ago, and then any advice you have for me as I'm moving into this role. Wow. Well, you know, it, it was an entirely different time uh, mm -hmm. 20 years ago, and, and uh, the association was organized in somewhat different ways. Um, and I am so looking forward to your convention and I'm going to be there. And Jennifer Hamilton out there in the world, I want you to know that I'm looking forward to meeting you there and we'll have <laughs> to get together and, and talk and, and maybe have lunch or, or something together and, and uh, just commiserate um, and also celebrate um, all that we've been through. Um, but um, it, I guess my advice, let me skip to that part first mm -hmm, before I sure. describe, you know, the background a little bit. It's, it's, I think it's really important to, to be a good listener and to, but also to share a lot about yourself. Um, I think that people in ACPA, uh, especially the newer members, um, want to know, you know, what their leaders are like and, and how it is uh, 
people who become presidents of ACPA, what they did to get there. Um, and I think that, that uh, you've been very prominent in the profession in many, many different ways. So I think maybe you might not necessarily have to, to do the same kind of things that, that some of us did because, you know, we, we were probably a lot more limited in, in our, our presence um, and student profession. affairs now has definitely helped in that regard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it has. Yeah. I'm sure it has. Yeah. So that that would be the, probably the sole piece of advice because I, I <clears throat> you know, when I was president, it was very clear that that um, we needed to to make sure that the organization was on a firm financial and and administrative basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had just not that long ago. Um, separated from a, a larger organization. Um, and we wanted to, to make sure that, that uh, we continued to be uh, uh, the largest student affairs professional association at that time in the country. Um, and also one that continued to focus on those things that our association felt was important. And that was diversity and being uh, accessible to newer members of the profession. Uh, to be a good place for for newer members of the profession, um, to also expand the notion of of what it meant to be in student affairs and reach out to our colleagues in community colleges and elsewhere, um, and and maintain a stable and strong relationship with with faculty, um, so that we saw ourselves as as uh, you know a, a a big community celebrating our profession, mm-hmm. um, and. The, at that time, the Minnesota uh, Student Affairs uh, Association, the, the regional association was very, very strong. So it was great having my convention there and, and they largely uh, were uh, the planners of the convention. Mm-hmm. Uh, nowadays, I think it's a little different. I think it's much more inclusive in that people can what volunteer to be on the planning committees and so they come from everywhere. Um, and I think that that's a, a, a very, um, I, obviously it's been a very, very positive approach and, and one that's been successful because I've heard that these the meetings are great. Um, but what we were able to do was, was to go ahead and, and build on uh, a group of people that were already there. And so we limited travel expenses and, and those kinds of things by doing that, so. Yeah. But yeah. uh, I, the other piece of experience uh, or suggestion I have for you is to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you hear people talk about being in these very significant roles and just saying, oh, I'm so glad it's over. You know, it was it was such a uh, drain on my time, blah, blah. But the fact of the matter is, is that I loved it. Mm-hmm. And I know that you will, too, because yeah. it's, it's such an opportunity to give back in many respects. Yeah. Yeah, the association has given me so much. Um, I'm really humbled and grateful for the opportunity. And I really think that we're at this really interesting point in our history too, right? The the convention in Chicago will be the 100th uh, yes. uh, anniversary of ACPA, which is an exciting milestone. Um and so, yeah, I have, I have no doubt I'm going to, I'm going to really enjoy it. And I have a lot of um, respect for all of the people who have served in the, in the president role over time. Cause it, in this year as vice president, I've gotten a bit of a, 
of an insight into the amount of work that it entails. Um, but I'm, I'm very excited. It's going to be great. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, it's, it's three years of, yeah, of it truly is. significant <laughs> effort. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm curious through that time period. I mean, I know for me, at least ACPA has kind of been this professional, um, you know, through line, um, as I've moved around the country and as I've, um, taken different roles and in different institutions. Um, and my colleagues and communities of support have really been largely centered on that, on that professional association. But can you talk a little bit about who your communities of support, you know, who were your mentors, um, and how have you kind of maintained relationships over time with them? Well, I was, I was very privileged to, to have had, um, quite a few mentors actually. Mm. Um, and of course the, the one group that, that um, other than ACPA, um, which has been very significant for me is, is a group called Valhalla, uh, which um, is a group of, of um, past ACPA presidents um, and also people who um, published and contributed significantly to the profession. And uh, we, used to before COVID um, have these wonderful meetings um, that would last a long weekend mm. um, and, and get away and, and be able to talk. Um, but, you know, I like that little pockets of belonging and I'm mm. going to try to incorporate that yeah. into my way of thinking. <laughs> At ACPA affords you an opportunity to do a lot of that. You meet people and and you make arrangements to to be able to form into groups either at the convention or elsewhere. Um, I always encouraged people and, and thought it was very important to have folks not at your own campus that you can talk to. Um, ACPA was a wonderful place for that. Um, there, your local um, professional association um, would be a good place for it probably. And, and just, you know, a, a, a group of peers um, that that are committed and that you um, have good relationships with just getting together and and uh, and you know sharing everything there is to share about your experience you know the student affairs has got its really positive aspects and then there are really challenging aspects too and you've got to be able to get all of that out there with somebody, you know, um, people that you trust and and are are not going to violate any confidences or anything like that. And you you I think that's very hard to do on your own campus. So so create these peer groups wherever you are and and uh, be able to have an outlet because as I've said, I think I've said repeatedly, there there are really good things about the profession and the experience. And then there are some that are not so good. Um, and, uh, you know, I have to say that, that um, my hat's off to you, Heather, for, and also my, my other colleagues at Michigan State for how you've dealt with and continue to deal with, you know, what has happened on your campus. And for all the other people out there on campuses and, and uh, and high schools and elementary schools and all the places where these tragedies have been occurring. Yeah. You know, I, I just, I can't tell you um, 
how much I'm feeling for you and, yeah. and uh, sharing, trying to share your grief. Thank you. Yeah, Paul, I, I, uh, you are one of the people who texted me that night, um, you know, watching the news, are you okay? Um, and I, I mentioned on a previous episode of, of the podcast, like how valuable those, those outreaches are, right? I mean, it, it shows that we have a very large interconnected and caring um, community of, of educators across the country. And so I really appreciate that. And I think I texted you, I'm, I'm headed to campus. To and you're like, good, good job. <laughs> Keep going. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was absolutely. It was, it was absolutely. Rough. And well, keep going even now. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing. I mean, it's been a couple of weeks, but it's still pretty present. Um, right. And even though news media has gone on and the stories aren't right, but like our campus is still kind of in the midst of what does it right. mean to have a tragedy like this? So, right. um, so I know your last professional role was as the Dean of Students um, at the University of Oregon before you retired. How many years ago did you retire? It feels like yesterday, but. Well, it was it was quite a few years ago. I think it was like 2015. So okay. I've been, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. So, Maybe a little later than that. I, you know, time flies. <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> I know. Well, and I, I think you and I have talked a little bit about, I mean, I've always thought of the Dean of Students position as kind of the quintessential student affairs role, right? Like our, our field, um, student affairs uh, was founded through kind of the deans of women and deans of men and the places where um, students came for support, right? And so I always thought like the Dean of Students is like my career aspiration, Um you know, and then I remember talking with you about this, right? And the the, the role has really evolved um, and become more complicated. And I'd love to hear any kind of particular observations you want to want to share about that um, after after being retired. Uh, well, you know, I I uh, I think you'd be a wonderful dean of students, and I think actually I think you'd be a wonderful vice president for student affairs and a wonderful president of a university. Uh, if you thank you. Be one. <laughs> Biggest you know, but, right? Yeah, but I no, I think I think you have all the skills and and uh, I think the personality, um, and I think that that student affairs um, professionals need to think about these leadership responsibilities and and uh, new roles and and bringing uh, new perspectives to to their campuses. I think it's <laughs> the role has changed significantly, but I also think that. Uh, it's an important role. It, to me, it's the bridge. It's mm. it's the one that that where where you know people are able to kind of perhaps see different perspectives is through the dean of students. That's the positive aspect. That's also the biggest challenge, uh, especially in times like this where it seems as if um, people are much more divisive and and uh, perhaps uh, much less uh, able to, to listen to one another uh, mm -hmm. than perhaps they once were. Uh, maybe contentious is a better word, I don't know. But I, I, as I talk with my friends and as I uh, <clears throat> read the literature that, that's coming out, um, you know, it, it seems that, that uh, the mood on campus and, and the uh, uh, environment on campus is becoming more and more reflective um, of of our society in general, um, 
which I think is a, a huge challenge. Mm -hmm. So um, that's that's what I would like to, to encourage people to think about it as they undertake these additional responsibilities is, you know, how are you going to cope with the, um, uh, maybe more um, contentiousness, uh, less uh, willingness to, to learn from one another, um, you know, and, and how are you going to be able to maintain your own values and your own perspectives? Um, how much personal work do you have to do uh, before you achieve these kinds of, of responsibilities? Um, your own identity, um, where, where uh, <clears throat> the lines are that you're just not going to cross, um, you know, and, and uh, also how you're going to interact, I think, with, with more diverse perspectives that probably are less willing than they have been before to learn with one another. Mm. Um, I, I practiced um, with millennials for the most part. And if, if you read, and, and what, there are two generations of college students ago now, um, that, that was a group that uh, was a much more optimistic group of people and uh, perhaps um, as students, um, they, they had more confidence about um, the impact that they were gonna make uh, on the world and, and uh, of course, you know, on themselves. Um, so uh, it's, that's the kind of thing that, that uh, I think is, is gonna be very important for people to, to be thoughtful about is how you're gonna interact and, and what I perceive, and maybe it's not true and I'm hoping it's not, but it appears to be a more contentious environment. Yeah. And having said that, let me go ahead and, and say that uh, <clears throat> um, I would encourage people um, who are entering into the profession and entering into um, significant leadership responsibilities at different institutions to understand how those institutions are managed. Mm -hmm. um, understand the, the how decisions are made um, and really, really uh, understand um, unions mm -hmm. and tenure mm -hmm. and uh, what kind of things, I, I wouldn't have said this years ago when I was entering the profession, but now I would really not be um, obsessed by the idea, but I would, I would understand, you know, how am I going to be able to be as effective as I can be? Because a student affairs professional, I think, has the obligation to, to be an educator and, and to say to everybody, you know, this is what's the better thing for students. Um, and there are students who'd probably object to your perspectives, and there are probably others on your campus who might object to those perspectives. But I, I think that that's the role that a student affairs, especially a dean of students, you know, has to be able to, to articulate, to successfully demonstrate um, is the ability to say, well, ultimately what's best for the students, I think might be this, <laughs> as opposed to what we're talking about now. Right, right. 
Yeah. And it's been, I mean, I think that, I think you're really uh, hitting it that like, there is a lot of um, contentiousness among groups and a lot of polarization among, you know, various factions. And so, you know, how can administrators kind of serve in a restorative way to build bridges and I like that, that the, that the Dean of Students role kind of has some of that in their responsibility. Um, so you've been retired since 2015. Uh, what have you been doing in your retirement? Um, I know you were doing CrossFit for a little bit before, uh, before COVID or, or some other kind of gym-based uh, fitness thing, but I understand you just traveled to Mexico. Tell us a little bit about what you've been up to. Well, that's basically what I've been up to. I, I haven't been, uh, when I worked, you know, I I wasn't able to, to do um, all the exercise that I probably should have done. I always tried to do a little something. Uh, but I, I think that that uh, now that I've been able to do it much more seriously and, and uh, much more consistently, um, I, I would encourage people who are working to, to have an exercise regimen um, mm. that that they're faithful with because it's 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 really important and it contributes a lot to to your perspective on the world. Um, you know, I it's interesting when people retire. They oftentimes folks think that they're just going to have so much time on their hands. Well, that that just hasn't been our experience. To be perfectly honest, we we've traveled um, and um, we've certainly done more things in terms of our immediate community. Um, off of campus, um, in the, we're involved in Rotary, um, and uh, you know we we do uh, other kinds of, of uh, voluntary work to to try to to improve our communities or to assist people that are in our communities. So it's been it, I've had fun. It's it's in, it's I like to travel, and also uh, I did go. We I've been to Mexico twice now. I think. Mm. Mm-hmm. And we, through Rotary, uh, we work with an organization called Project Amigo, and their function is to educate uh, people um, who um, wouldn't ordinarily be uh, impoverished, possibly, um, or live um, in migrant camps. Um, these are people who do the agricultural work within Mexico itself. They, they move back and forth from different areas. And um, oftentimes their, their children uh, aren't able to go to school. Um, and so Project Amigo has come up with this, this way of educating students in, in this one area and through uh, the really different kinds of experiences they've created for, for folks like uh, Laura and me and other Rotarians and other people who just wanna volunteer, um, they've been able to, to create a, a viable nonprofit organization that has seen students through from preschool all the way through the university and into law school and architectural school and beyond. And it, it's, it's been it, the last activity that we were involved in was teaching English or, or enhancing English speaking skills. Uh, to university students. And these were already students who were pretty good, um, but it was very intense and, and very enjoyable. Um, but it, it, uh, it, it's, 
continued to be, that was a way to contribute and uh, to be part of um, something that had a large uh, or significant impact uh, on those communities. Because if, if people are able to, to continue their education and they are able to find jobs and, and, and work in Mexico, you know, why would they think about leaving? Mm. And that's, that's the kind of, of uh, impact that, that uh, Project Amigo has had and an important one. And uh, it, it's been one that's very beneficial uh, to everybody who's involved in it. That's great. That is great. I can just see um, you and Laura just really taking all of that um, to heart and, and you know, increasing your impact, right, beyond just um, the community that you're in, but really thinking about it internationally. Um, I, we're getting close to the end of our time together, but I'd love to hear in your final thoughts, just any advice that you have um, for new professionals um, and, you know, maybe a little bit about what you would have wanted to tell yourself, you know, as, as like a, having a long career in student affairs. Um, and then we'll get to our, our traditional final question, which is always um, about what we're pondering, but what advice would you give to a new professional? Well, I guess the advice that I would give is, is probably um, something that, that's kind of obvious. Um, but on the other hand, I, I just, uh, I really mean this sincerely in the sense that, that you know, you're, you're gonna have an experience that's your experience. Um, and you have to be true to yourself, um, but also you, you have to um, give yourself the opportunity to learn and grow from it. Um, it's a wonderful experience um, and you meet wonderful peers along the way. Um, and, but always you, you have to understand that, that this is it, this is, this is your experience. And uh, you need to, to be genuine and honest about it. And especially as, as it relates to you personally and individually and your family too. Um, because all of the, it's it's one of those things that uh, that happens not just to you, uh, but to a group of people together. So um, I'd be thoughtful about that, and uh, and I would really try to enjoy it for all it is. Uh, at the same time, being real honest with yourself about um, how it's impacting you and and how you're serving um, your students and your and your college, your community your campus. So. Mm -hmm. so our, our podcast, as you know, is called student affairs now. Um, so I'd love to hear if there are things that this conversation has brought up that you're pondering or questioning or excited about, or things that you're just generally thinking about in the world, um, that you want to share, just, um, whatever final thoughts you want to want to add. Well, you know, I, <clears throat> I came into student affairs. I, well, I, I came into higher education period with with the whole idealistic notion, um, which I'm I'm sticking to, um, that um, as Dewey has argued and Jefferson has argued and and many other philosophers and educators have argued, 
it, education is kind of the basis of democracy. Mm-hmm. It, it's a building block, it's a foundation. You have to have an educated electorate, uh, especially these days when, when the questions are so complicated. So I remain committed to that idea. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I have to say that I am kind of concerned about diversity. Um, I think that we're much more diverse on our campuses um, than we once were. Um, but I am concerned about access and the cost of coming to a college or university and, and having that experience. Um, and I'm also talking about the experience. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what that experience is actually like. Um, I went to college in what I consider, and as I consider it now, a really nurturing kind of experience. And, and, and uh, you know, one where, where I felt like I was supported regardless of who I was and what I believed in. I felt like I was a member of a community and people supported me. They may not have agreed with me on everything, but nonetheless, I felt supported. Do we have that anymore? Is it that same sort of experience? And can we have that again um, at places like um, Florida State, Michigan State, and Oregon, and Colorado State, and you know, big big schools, larger schools? You know, can we have those sorts of important uh, nurturing experiences um, like I was really fortunate to enjoy. I think that's a great um, note to leave uh, leave us on. And I, I uh, absolutely agree with you. And I think um, our society needs education even more now. Um, and we've always needed it, but I think that we do have this imperative um, I'm excited to put this episode out into the world. Uh, and um, for those folks who have not met Paul before, have a little bit of an opportunity to spend some time with you and learn from you, Paul, as I, as I have done over several now, a couple of decades. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. It's so been much. wonderful. A wonderful, wonderful experience. Thank you. Yeah, well, I'm so grateful for your time um, serving, you know, not only as my mentor, but also just being able to be vulnerable and willing to share your journey with us here today. Um, So closing, we typically then talk a bit about our sponsors. So let me tell you a little bit about that. Uh, We have two sponsors today. Simplicity is the global leader in student services technology platforms with state-of-the-art technology that empowers institutions to make data-driven decisions specific to their goals. A true partner to the institution, Simplicity supports all aspects of student life, um, including but not limited to career services and development, student conduct and well-being, student success and accessibility services, and you can learn more by visiting simplicity.com. And our second sponsor is Stylus. Uh, Stylus is proud to be a sponsor for Student Affairs Now. Browse their student affairs, diversity, and professional development titles at styluspub.com. And you can use promo code SANOW for 30% off all books plus free shipping. And if you visit our website, um, you can learn more about our sponsors by clicking there. Um, thanks to Nat Ambrosi, our dedicated behind-the-scenes producer who does all of the great work to make us look and sound good. Um, And if you're listening today and not already receiving our weekly newsletter, please visit our website. And 
um, add your email address. We send out a weekly uh, newsletter and you can also check out our archives. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening and watching today. Again, my name is Heather Shea and I hope you make it a great week. Mm -hmm.